Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, let's get right at it. You know, I've had a few hours to process what I saw last night. I've had some time to think about what I saw and put my thoughts into words. And here's where I come out on last night's matchup. The hell was that? Seriously. The hell was that? Did I really see the Rams beat the Chiefs 54-51? I did. And it was insane. How insane? The Chiefs hung 51 on the Rams and they still lost. They scored 50 plus and they still got beat. That's not easy to do. And yes, I could go with the old classic line of nothing ever lives up to the hype except last night. But that didn't just live up to the hype. It smashed it. It broke records. What records? Every record. It had about a billion lead changes and about a trillion yards. You knew it was going to be high scoring. There was no way that it wouldn't be. Not with one Andrew Ryed on one sideline. Sean McVay on the other sideline. And if you took the under last night, what the hell was wrong with you? What were you thinking? I'm not here to give you gambling advice, but seriously, exactly what were you thinking? Now, the good news is most of you did not take the under. But those of you who did have got to be feeling pretty idiotic about it. I know Vegas is hurting right now because the books got hammered for the over. And no, nobody cares that you thought the change in venue and the field conditions were going to point to a low-scoring game. Just like nobody is interested in your, well, you know, actually, it really wasn't that good of a game. Take. If you're going to come in with that, just keep moving. Yeah, I know it wasn't great football, not in the leather helmet, three yards, and a cloud of dust sense. I know there were way too many flags and too many guys slipping on the field, and that alleged all-star ref crew was getting way more face time than anybody would have ever liked. Yeah, I know. Red Grange, Bronco Nagurski, Ray Nitschke, they'd all be turning over in the dirt over this one. Yeah, they might, but not me. Hell no, and neither should anybody else who was watching that game. Were you not entertained? Hell yes, you were. How could you not be? Are you not entertained? And if you weren't, that's on you, not on the Chiefs, not on the Rams. You had two of the best offenses in NFL history going right at it, standing in the middle of the ring, hands down, trading haymakers. Again, the Chiefs scored 50-plus, and they lost. Patrick Mahomes had six TD passes and 500 total yards, and he lost. Welcome to the Big 12. The Arena League cannot believe how these two went up and down the field the way they did. Sean McVay said it best, quote, It was a whirlwind. I feel like I might need a couple of beverages to relax tonight. But it was great. This is what you love so much about the game. End quote. A couple of beverages. I mean, I felt like I needed an elephant trank to calm down last night. And I was watching from home. The game had everything. Touchdowns, strip sacks, pick sixes. Hell, even defense. It did. It had some defense. It had everything. Patrick Mahomes, more than 500 total yards. Six TDs. Jared Goff, 413 yards, four touchdowns in the air, one on the ground. Three receivers, 100-yard games, one with a 200-yard game. You knew all of that was going to happen, and you knew Aaron Donald was going to happen. But did you know that Samson was going to happen? Packed his right arm, there's pressure, he's hit, down, fumbled the ball, it's rolling at the 10, it's picked up on the play by Abu Kim, he runs to the far side, it's a touchdown, it's a touchdown for the Rams. Samson Ebucom, if you need him, and the Rams did need him. Who knew that Sam was going to be one of the leading scorers in last night's game? Nobody. Even he couldn't explain it. Quote, it was electric. It's hard to describe because I'm still like in a game mode right now. I haven't calmed down yet, so it really hasn't sunk in yet. End quote. Look, I get that. I had nothing to do with that game, and I'm not sure it's even sunk in for me yet. The Rams entered the fourth with a 40-30 lead. It could have been 140-30, and it still would not have been safe. Sure enough, it wasn't. I mean, there was so much action in that quarter, I don't have time to run back all the highlights. So a quick recap. 12.04 to go, TD Kansas City. 11.07 to go, TD Kansas City. 9.38 to go, TD LA. 2.47 to go, touchdown Kansas City. 
Buck 49 to go. Touchdown, Los Angeles. 128 to go. KC throws a pick, then forces a three and out, then throws another pick. In other words, that quarter alone had more action than most games. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what we actually know about these two teams that we didn't already know before that game. I'm not even sure how much we can really take away from that game that we didn't already know. They both have amazing offenses. We knew that. They both have hit or miss defenses. We knew that. You know, the kind of defenses that would make, I don't know, Rob Deere or Adam Dunn proud. Home run or strikeout. Nothing in between. All or nothing. Both defenses will turn you over. They'll even score you some points, but they're going to get torched in the process. So, to answer the question that I started with, the hell was that? The hell was that? I'm still not sure... But I know it was awesome, and I know I'd love to run that back in the ATL. Can you believe this? Trevor Price. Trevor, what's up? How are you? What's up, man? This is two days in a row we're talking. How amazing is that? Especially for you. Yeah, it's great, Trevor. <laughs> it really is. All right, so what did you make? You and I were texting back and forth during last night's game. We talked about the game before the game on the RPO. You saw it last night play out in Los Angeles. What did you make of what you saw last night? I think the easy thing is to say that, oh, there's a revolution of offense and this is, you know, oh, the body can't stop each other. The two things that I take away from it is, one, neither of them is better than the Saints because the Saints actually have DBs that can cover. But the second thing is the most interesting part, and I'm always looking for an angle that's different than everybody else. Did you watch, like, the end of the game when they were all talking to each other and they're in the middle of the field and how Marcus Peters hugged Andy Reid for, like, 30 seconds? And Aaron Donald, who went to fight the kid from Seattle last week, is walking around, and him and the offensive linemen are all kind of chum-chum, buddy-buddy, and everybody's kind of hanging around the middle of the field. And I think what that means is both of those teams know they're better than everybody else, and they're kind of in a class by themselves. So they look at each other, and it's like looking in a mirror almost, right? Like when I, when I played for the Ravens, we did that with Pittsburgh, and it was kind of like the fist fight that the teams got into there was a mutual respect because we were built the same way. Those two teams are built the same way, so they're kind of they, – I mean, they played the same as that game. They both played – they both scored touchdowns on defense. They both had receivers running wide open. It's, it, was like, it was almost like a scrimmage, and there's something, there's something to that when you have a team that is just like yours and you go through a game like that. Um, and, and I think, it, I think it's, it's weird. It's almost like they, they, they play on the same team the Rams and the Chiefs. That's why the game looked like that. We're That's talking, the part I took away from it. We're talking to Trevor Price, a media mogul and a legend of the RPO podcast. Trevor, what did you take away from Patrick Mahomes? Over 500 total yards, six touchdowns, but also five turnovers. What did you make of his performance? Uh, it made me a winner in my fantasy football family league. That's, that's what I make. Good for you. One, yeah, right? Or number one. Um, I think number two is... <laughs> How do you score 50 points and you gave the ball away five times? <laughs> that should be, that's all you need to know, right? It's like, you, you know, so when I played for the Ravens, uh, John Harbaugh had a thing, a long, like a, a win sheet, right? And if you won these 10 things, you were likely going to win the game. And number one was sacks. If you had sacks, if you had, which team had more sacks? Which team had less turnovers? Which team had, had um, more third down conversions? Which, which team had this, that, and the other? I think if I go back through that sheet now, neither of those teams won either of those, any of those categories, right? The Rams did not win any of those categories, yet they won the game. This is the new normal. We talked about evolution, but evolution in the players also means evolution in offense. And I think the other part is, you know, everybody wants to talk about the young up-and-coming coordinators and Sean McVay. Andy Reid is not young. And him and Eric, Eric B have put together an offense that is unlike anything we've ever seen. Even the Rams offense, it just works different. All right, so, so let, me ask, let me ask you this. To that point, and Eric B is Eric B. Enemy, if you're a defensive lineman, Trevor, which quarterback would you rather face, Mahomes or Jared Goff? I would guess Jared Goff because he's a little less athletic. I mean, we're talking about one runs a 4-8, one runs a 4-7-9. Give me the 4-7-9 guy. You know what I mean? I think just that little bit. But as far as a defensive lineman, once the ball's gone, I don't care you know, what he is, doesn't matter. Once the ball's gone, is how quick does he get rid of it, and can he evade pressure? I mean, both of them were sacked multiple times, multiple times, and hit hard and 
the play that uh, the, the kid from um, the Ekebon, I forget it, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, from the Rams made yesterday when he scored the two touchdowns. Right. I, I mean, that's just – is it luck or is it that Patrick Mahomes didn't move his feet? I mean, there's so many things. You can go so many different ways with it. But as a defense lineman, I think Jared Goff, and I'm splitting hairs. Saturday, November 24th, Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy Promotions presents Chuck the Iceman Liddell as he returns to the cage to take on the Huntington Beach bad boy Tito Ortiz in the third and final chapter of their historic rivalry at the Fabulous Forum, plus a fully stacked undercard of competitive MMA talent. Do not miss another chapter of this historic rivalry. Saturday, November 24th at the Forum. Tickets start at $30 and they're available at Ticketmaster.com or by calling 800-745-3000. 800-745-3000. That pick that he had that he brought back to the house, I mean, I've watched that all morning long. I still have no idea how he held on to that ball, which brings me to something you and I talked about in the RPO this week, Trevor. How different is the game now than even when you last played in 2010? Uh, so the athleticism we are seeing now is beyond what, the game used to be, especially when I was drafted. When I was drafted, I was like, you know, like for instance, when we trained in off season, our strength coaches used to make me run with the DBs. Now all defense alignment have to be able to run with DBs because if you can't run like that, you can't play. That's the big difference. We're watching. I watch the kids from Carolina, all of them catching balls out of the end in the end zone, toe tapping. Uh, Ty Hilton not putting his heel down on the ground. How do you run without your heel hitting the ground? You have, to ask, you have to ask yourself those questions. And really, how you do that is evolution, period. It, it, it is just different. I've, I've never been to get off my long guy. I've never been one that does not know greatness when I see it, when it's young, when it's old, it doesn't matter. But what we're watching now has, is, is beyond football. Because if you're a running back and you can't leap over a defensive back's head, you can't play can't play for us the routine the new normal is the is the incredible that's what the game is trevor price my guest not only are you not get off my lawn guy i think you're great like that like you'll watch a game and you'll hit me sometimes with dude did you see that catch like you have nothing but respect for what you're watching so you're anything but get off the lawn guy so you started this one of your biggest takeaways was neither one of these teams are the saints what is the biggest difference between the saints and the two teams you saw last night i think they're corners I think the Saints have a more sound defense. Um, the, the, the Rams' defense, as a design, is not sound. I read something, funny enough, I read something yesterday. I was cruising around you know, the Internet in the, the deep wells of it, and I, I wound up on a page of something about Aaron Donald. And I was like, I'm going to read this. And apparently the guy that drafted Aaron Donald when he was there was Mike Waffle. Mike Waffle was a defensive line coach um, for like the Raiders a long time. He was, he was going to coach me. He coached me at the Pro Bowl once. And Mike Waffle comes from like a like a military background, crew cut, tall, slender man, disciplinarian. And apparently, if I'm remembering correctly, he told Aaron Donald, he said, "Listen, put him aside." He said, "Listen, you take none of my coaching. You do what you want. Because if you lose that instinctive way you play, then you're no longer Aaron Donald, right? And th- there's something to that. So they let him do kind of what he wants to say. Look, you your gap is here." How you do that, we don't care. Just make sure you wind up here. Everybody else was taught technique and everybody else was taught these things except for him. And I think both of their defenses are built like that. They're not sound defenses because sound defenses don't make big plays, i.e. the Patriots. Trevor Price joining us. All right, I mentioned off the very top, you are a media mogul. It includes Kulapari, Dreamwalker, which is on Netflix. Trevor, starting today, for those who are not familiar with it, what is Kulapari all about? So uh, I, I grew up with a fear of frogs, but I also, I also grew up a writer. <laughs> a fear of true. frogs. Fear, a deathly fear of frogs. A kid in Florida, you know, dead frogs in the street. I, I grew up with a fear of them, but you know, I, I've been a creative person all my life. So um, right when I retired, I decided I was going to jump in this business full bore, and I wind up writing um, the Quillapari books for a company called Abrams. Um, Netflix, uh, we pitched it to Netflix. Netflix decided to adapt the books into one season in 2016 called Kulapari and Army of Frogs. A month later, they, they renewed it for a second season, and the season came out today. And it's about 
um, it's about the outback and in, in Australian Aboriginal culture, but I didn't want to be people, so I used animals instead. And it's really about survival, about these different creatures and uh, the spirituality of, of Aboriginal culture and um, them trying to survive. And, and the thing is that when the first season came out, Jim, it was really funny. Twitter went, Twitter's a really crazy place. So when the first season came out, like somebody, everybody was like, this is Game of Thrones for kids. And I, and I was like, maybe, but I don't watch Game of Thrones, right? But there's things that I do in the story that remind, I guess, remind people of Game of Thrones. So the second season, I decided, you know what? I'm actually going to push on that gas pedal a little bit. And there's a line that one of the young frogs says to one of the evil scorpions, and this is what he says. This is really this is how I talk, right? He says, look, you don't want to fight me because we both know I could pull your head off your shoulders. That's in my cartoon. That's exactly what he says. Okay. So that that's the way... That's the way I write. That's the way I think. And I think people are going to love it, especially when they see that part. Kulapari. Let me spell that for you, clones. K-U-L-I-P-A-R-I. Kulapari. Really quickly, Trevor. So what we're talking about is a project that is targeted at 13-year-olds. You know, I'm not being smart when I say this, but I mean, sincerely, how do you approach and target and keep a 13-year-old engaged? How do you go about doing that? that is, that's a really great question. Here's how. When I, when I turned in the third book of my trilogy to my, uh, to my publisher... They said, we're not publishing this. I said, well, you've already paid me. You would publish that or you would publish nothing. Because I did things that 13-year-olds um, don't expect, right? And that's how you have to do it. Because a 13-year-old, my son is 12, going on 13 in February, and, and, and they know what's going to happen before you tell them what's going to happen, right? And my entire life is spent either trying to figure out how people run fast or how to trick a 13-year-old. That's it. You have to keep their attention. You have to do things they don't expect. And you have to write parts in your stories that make them either cry, make them really angry, make them laugh. But what you can't do is say, hey, here's Thor. You cannot kill Thor. Those are facts. In the Marvel Universe, none of those characters are in danger at any part at any time. So Trevor, when you when you effect. Trevor, when you looked across the table and you said to the publisher, and I quote, You will publish this or you will publish nothing. What did the publisher say in response? Um, nothing. They, they said, well, that's fine. We'll publish nothing. And then Jim, two months later, they called back and said, we love it. Because the last book, and, and, and this is what happens in the last book, I burn everything down. So they were like, well, this is not a happy ending. I said, life is not a happy ending. That's not the way life works. So you have to, and, and, and what happened is the 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds that started to read it and started to love it, they've now come across, and they're, and they're like, ripping onto it like like grim death, right? The thing I realized very quickly, Jim, is it's very easy to get the little ones to go up. It's very hard to get the hard, the older ones to go down. Trevor. So that's why I write the way I do. Trevor, you will be on the RPO podcast next week or you will be on nothing. <laughs> Tuesday's Daily Jungle is brought to you by Ferguson. Listen to this. No matter how big or small your team is, Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. The regular season is going to go out with a bang this weekend. Rivalry games everywhere. The Iron Bowl, Florida, Florida State. Paul Bunyan's axe is up for grabs in Madison. Yesterday, Yogi Roth was here in studio. We talked about the Apple Cup and how electric it's going to be. Notre Dame has got a chance to wrap up a playoff spot at the Coliseum while packing Clay Helton's locker for him at the same time. All that said, there is no game with a brighter spotlight on it, though, than the one going down in Columbus. Saturday, the game, Ohio State v. Michigan, Herb versus Harbs. All right, Michigan men, let's be straight. If this is not going to happen right now, it's never going to happen. Not under this head coach. For the first time in 51 games, Ohio State is an underdog. For the first time since Herb showed up in Columbus, the Buckeyes are home dogs in the horseshoe. But then that'll happen when you get jacked up by Purdue by 29. That'll happen when you scrape by a two-win Nebraska team before scratching out W's against Michigan State and Maryland, a couple of teams straddling 500. Those three games last year, Ohio State won by a combined 22 touchdowns. 
this year. They're in the fight of their lives just to get over. So as much as I want to say that the Buckeyes are limping into this one, did you catch Herb on the sideline last weekend? That's not exactly limping. That was something totally different. I'm shocked this guy was able to leave the stadium under his own power. I mean, with the, uh, what with the histrionics and sorts. I mean, either Herb was trying to win a Golden Globe for that sideline performance, or my man's not right. Seriously, not right. People talk all the time about how football can be life or death. Herb, they don't mean it literally. If you can barely stand up on the sidelines and you have to keep taking a knee against Maryland, you better get yourself some help. You don't need to gut this out. If you were in that bad of shape watching your guys barely come back and beat Maryland, what's going to happen when Michigan comes into your house and knocks you the hell out? After all, you nearly tapped out against Maryland. You. And just think, that's the coach without the pressure. Herb has won three national titles. Herb already brought one to Columbus back in 2014. Herb is the guy with an 80-9 and record since showing up in the Big Ten back in 2012. Herb is the kind of coach that Michigan thought that it was getting when they rolled out that Brinks truck and they talked Coach Khaki into coming home. Yeah, well, they brought you back to win games like this, Jimmy. Period. Period. And I feel, oh, I feel like I've been saying this now for four years running. Now, just so you know, I'm fair about this. I actually think that Harbs deserves credit because this dude was wearing some earlier this year. Remember the season essentially started with the cack on his back when a journo who covered Michigan State landed one of the all-time great haymakers at Big Ten Media Days. He came into Ann Arbor with perhaps the most hype of any coach in the history of the Big Ten, maybe in all of college football. A few years later, you've got a third place, third place, and fourth place finish, and you're one in five against Michigan State and Ohio State. What do you have to do this year to demonstrate to the Michigan community that you are on the path to achieving what they hired you to achieve? Well, the improvement will lead to success, will lead to championships. We'll take our next question, Coach, right here. What the hell did that even mean? I mean, I've heard that maybe a hundred times, and I still can't make any sense of that. What the hell does that even mean? The answer was totally fair. Or I should say the question was totally fair. It was a good question. A good question and one of the worst answers I've ever heard. It makes no sense. And it made even less sense when Michigan showed up in South Bend on opening night and then no-showed. That 24-17 loss might look pretty decent right now, but in the moment, it sure didn't. At least not to former Michigan All-American Braylon Edwards, who hopped on Twitter immediately and started to drop bombs like this. Bleeping Michigan offense is so predictable. Michigan football is sadly one thing, trash. And then he added, quote, LOL, everybody had your back. I got to laugh because I knew this would happen. Don't feel bad. Watch the truth. So credit words do. Credit to Big Blue for getting back on the rails, getting it back on. Credit for whatever marketing guru came up with that revenge tour and decided to start it right after Notre Dame laid it on them. Michigan, though, got over on Sparty. Michigan rolled up Wisconsin after the Badgers put it to them last year. Michigan buried Penn State after the Lions did the same thing to them in Happy Valley. So they got it turned around. They got this thing back on track. Just know this. Nobody cares about any of that if you do not bring it home on Saturday. Bottom line, Big Blue, this is a game you have to have. You have the better team. You have a much better defense. Your coach does not look like a dude with one foot out the door on his way to another self-imposed retirement. And I know he's got issues. I know Herb has physical issues, legitimate physical issues. I mean, I'm looking at this guy. It's concerning. I'm not a doctor, but I know he has legitimate physical issues. And you got to wonder, this is going to be a really stressful weekend. Michigan, better go out and get it done. Because if Herb and the Buckeyes manage to pull off that upset and they keep you out of the playoff, that's an L, Michigan men. You will never, ever live down. If it doesn't happen Saturday, Michigan men, it never will. Not under Coach Cack. 
It's always a must-win game, but never more so than this Saturday. You're favored. You have the better team. You have the better offense. If you don't get it done now, you never will. And there's no, no reason not to. And then bad news, even if you do, no credit. Ohio State already got smashed by Purdue. Maryland had them beat. Now or never, Michigan. Gobble, gobble, turkey. Gobble, gobble, turkey, coach. Joey Logano is my guest. Joey, it's good to have you back. How are you? What's happening? I'm doing great. How you been? Good, good, Joey. That was a lot for me to get out there in the open, but you've had a little <laughs> less than 48 hours since you won the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Championship Sunday. What has life been like for you, and how does it feel to be introduced as a NASCAR champion? Uh, well, it sounds amazing, for one, uh, to, to think about just that we've been uh, you know, working at this for a long time, and you know, not only in the Cup Series for 10 years, but you start to think about just how I started racing and everybody that's been involved all the way through. It's really uh, uh, a true honor to be a, a champion in our sport. So, so proud of that. Um, life has been pretty busy ever since the, since the end of the race. We've been taking a lot of pictures, doing a lot of media. Uh, got home for about three hours to get some clothes to head up here to New York City and doing some more media up here. So, it's uh, it's been a, a little bit of a whirlwind tour so far, but like I said, we're having a blast. I got no room to complain about it because I'm having so much fun. Good. Joey Logano joining us. So, Joey, you work your entire life to get to this point. And then on Sunday, with 12 laps to go, you had Martin Truex Jr. in your sights. You made your move. What was that moment like for you? Oh, it was, uh, man, <laughs> crazy. I knew when that caution came out, um, that was our shot. Because that caution had come out, I don't believe we were going to win that race. And um, the caution came out. We were going to come down Pit Road. My pit crew has been unstoppable uh, throughout this, this 10 weeks of the playoffs. And, uh, they able to do their job, put me in position. We restarted third on that, that restart through 15 to go. And um, our strength in our car was a short run. The first 20 laps of our, our, of our run, each, each run during the race, uh, was incredible. That was our strength. And uh, when that caution came out at that moment, it was 20 to go. And my time went back green. It was 15 to go. And I knew at that point it's just time for me to do my job after the, after the pit stop. And uh, I was able to make a, a good run off of turn four and, and catch uh, Truex on the straightaway to be able to carry that momentum into turn one on the outside of him and, and uh, ultimately take the lead. And at that point, you're just hoping nothing goes wrong. <laughs> Joey Logano's the champ. You know, speaking of Truex, coming into Sunday, everybody seemed to be focused on the big three of Truex, Kevin Harvick, and Kyle Busch, who have been so dominant this year. But as you climbed into your car, you told your interior mechanic, and I quote, I'm getting in as a driver. I'm getting out as a champion. End quote. It's a great, great line. How did you know that you had something special in you on Sunday? You know, I, I think in sports, uh, any, or really just in life, mentally you have to be tough. And to, to be mentally tough, you have to be prepared. And I felt uh, very prepared for the race, for the battle that was ahead of me. I've, I've been there before, been in those situations plenty, and I knew how to be successful in it, and, and I knew my race team knew how to be successful in it, and uh, I just felt like we weren't going to get beat that day, and I, I looked forward to it. You know, the first time I was in that championship four, I was, uh, <laughs> for lack of better words, kind of scared. You, know, you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you don't know how, even the whole week, you know, that's just the race, or how, how everything's going to be and prepare, and you always feel like you're missing something, and um, and this time there was no surprises. You know, we Everything that came around the corner next wasn't a surprise to me, and we were ready to roll with every punch that came our way. So, um, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of the race team, and, and that's why I felt so confident when we started this race. We're talking to Joy Logano. You know, Joy, when you look at it, last season obviously did not go the way you had hoped, and you missed the playoffs altogether, and you finished 17th in points. No driver in the modern era has ever turned it around the way you did. How were you able to turn it around as quickly as you did and go from missing the playoffs to winning the entire thing one year later? Yeah, you might say it was a quick turnaround. It felt like a long time. Okay. Uh, you know, we came from you know finishing second in the points in, in 2016, and then following it up with missing the playoffs completely. What a uh, crazy uh, feeling to have. I felt like we, we took the elevator down or, or more like we jumped off a building down. Um, and it took us a, a while and, and um, to be able to just kind of take a step back, look inward before outward, and, and find the, the differences that I need to make as a driver, what um, Todd needs to do as a crew chief, what we need to look different in our car. And and uh, and you start just finding little pieces here and there, and you start to slowly start to build the speed back in your car, and then the confidence starts coming back. And really, not until the playoffs started this year did I feel like we were capable of winning the championship again. And 
when the playoffs started, we started leading more laps. We started winning stages. We started winning races. And next thing you know, you're the champion, you know. So um, just a, a crazy uh, turn of events, really, after uh, the way it ended last season. Joey Logano is the champ. He joins us for a few more moments. You know, Joey, when you look at your journey to this point, you were competing at such an elite level at such a young age, and all eyes have always been on you. You've always been under that microscope. At any point, did the pressure of being the next big thing, the next great driver, ever get to you? Did it bother you? What was it like to deal with that coming up? You know, I, I, honestly, yes, it, it does. You know, you, you think about that because you, you don't want to let anyone down, right? So you, you when that hype is on there, you don't want to be the – the failure, right? And um, and honestly, I, I went through that. You know, I went through a point in my, my career that I, I jumped into this, this top level and raced it against the best race teams and drivers at, in stock car racing, and uh, I got my butt handed to me. <laughs> I got smoked for quite a few years, and and dealing with that stuff, I guess, it's, you know, now I look at it as one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me because I learned so much about myself and, and who to surround myself with and uh, and what I need out of out of a race car and, and, and everything that goes along with those those lessons that you learn when you're struggling and, and trying really hard and uh, you know and I think that's just sometimes just the way uh, life goes and and in the moment it's not fun but when you can get to the other side you realize that if it wasn't for that we would never be in the situation that we could win a championship so uh, God has toughened me up over the over a few years and and now we've been able to do it and. Lord knows what comes next, right? I mean, if this all can end tomorrow, we might get in a car crash as we're driving to the next place, but we're going to enjoy it right now as, as much as possible. It's got to be sweeter. It's got to be sweeter to go through what you went through to pick yourself back up and get it done. Let me finally ask you this. I don't know if you remember this or not, Joey, but a real good friend of our program, Cruz Pedregon, was a funny car champ. In three years ago, I know that you met up with him, and they let you warm up his funny car, and those guys still rave about that. Do you remember that, and what was it like when you got in that car? Oh, yeah, that's so much fun. <laughs> you, know, you know, the cool thing about motorsports is there's so many different disciplines of it. You know, there's stock car racing, there's drag racing, there's any car. There's, there's so many different, you know, sports cars, all those different things. And uh, to be able to, to kind of cross-pollinate with each other and, and you know, uh, see what their world is like compared to ours and listen about how they prepare and all that. And then he let me get in his car and they um, only let me warm it up, which was plenty because, and you got, I think they got about 9,000 horsepower now. It's, and that's not even a joke. 9,000 horsepower. That's incredible. Uh, so you can imagine what that feels like when, when that thing's sitting right in front of you. So I think it's crazy he's got that motor sitting in front of him. I'd want it behind me if <laughs> it's the case. But that's, uh, that was a fun experience, and he taught me a lot about drag racing that day. And I was able to teach him a lot about stock car racing. And he drove my car around the track, and uh, I made the mistake of getting in the passenger seat with him, which was probably the scariest thing I've done in my life. Wow. Joey, can you get your head around that number, 9,000 horsepower, like as an example? Uh, I've been in a car that was like 600, and I thought that was unbelievable. Jimmy Johnson had me in the pace car once, got up to about 150, 160. I thought that was incredible. Like, I can't get my head around that number, 9,000 horsepower. Oh, the the feeling. I couldn't imagine just laying it down and they actually could hook it up, you know? I don't know how you put that much power to the ground, uh, which, which is nuts, so... It was fun just to kind of talk to them about the differences and the way they set up their cars. You know, they're just going straight and only for a very short period of time where we're going, you know, four or 500, maybe sometimes even 600 miles in a race and how we have to have our stuff last a long time. And what we look at of our motors is just so different in the way we set up our cars. But that's what makes it fun because we're all car people. And, you know, no matter what you're into, there is a form of, uh, of motorsports to watch. And, and I think that makes it a lot of fun. And let's send it over to Jim Rome. <laughs> Ponytail dude. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. Hope you had a great weekend, and I hope your week's off to a good start. Now, this is a short week. Let's make the most of it. Let's get it done. I've got two days in this box. Let's make sure we get as much done as we possibly can. Let me start first, though, with the Saints. What the hell did Philly do to Sean Payton to deserve that? An absolute hospital job. looking to deliver a statement on Sunday. Statement being, we're the team to beat and you do not want anything to do with these Saints. And that's a coach with a chip on his shoulder the size of a freaking boulder. Ross Tucker, NFL. I don't care who you are, how much money you have. Getting $500 bills, it's a good feeling, man. I mean, it's kind of awesome when it's personal. You just give a little bit extra. It's a 500. In my bag. Extra. 500. In my bag. Oh, it's his ankle. Looks like his ankle. Looks like Rex, what's going 
on. He didn't need the meat wagon to cart him off for what was just a mild inner vaginal pull. Ah. Your diagnosis is not exactly what happened, Rex. <laughs> I know what it's not. It's got nothing to do with female genitalia. Oh, Alvi. Welcome back, Alvi. To Italy and back in a single week. Dude was in Rome. He was in Venice. He made it back Saturday night. Alvi, you didn't get nice with Mill, did you? You didn't plant your seed again, did you? Dude, dude, no. Trey Nixon, my guest. Those who work and those who treat practices like a game, I mean, a lot of good things will come to him on the game time. Wow! This defense is That wasn't beating up on a nobody. And now they're wondering exactly what just hit them. I'm not throwing in with the Bears. Chicago, my bad. I'm no longer doubting your squad. Not after that. Twitter. Jeremy Piven, DM me. Why are you sleeping on my Bears, man? My response to him was something along the lines of... Let's hug it out, bitch. Bob in Calgary. Sitting there all by yourself looking sad, Sarah Jessica Parker. I went up to her. I said, hey, what's with the long face, horse head? That's how I know that guy. It doesn't make any sense. the SJP guy. I've gone from pissed to really befuddled. I saw a dude in the airport with a flip phone. What? It took everything I had not to say, hey, man, you mind if I get a picture with you? Yogi Roth is my guest. I, I love going to college campuses now, the next generation of listeners. They're on. Whenever I'm on, they're like, dude, saw you on Rome. That was awesome. Oh, I so. love hearing that. How great is ball? <laughs> it's awesome. Back in Boston, I've always said, Jim, you show me someone with a tattoo of another dude, and I'll show you the biggest loser ever to walk the planet. You're a second-rate clone from a second-rate city talking second-rate smack. Take that for data, four eyes. In case you did not know, The Jungle on radio this year has been a TV show. What was that ruckus? You hearing that? That is definitely stuck. Go ahead, New York. Pop that thing. Yeah! Nice job. It's a touchdown! The hell was that? Seriously. Can you believe this? Were you not entertained? And if you weren't, that's on you, Trevor Price. When I, when I turned in the third book of my trilogy to my publisher, they said, we're not publishing this. I said, well, you've already paid me. You will publish that or you will publish nothing. Improvement will lead to if success. If you don't get it done now, you never will. And there's no reason not to. And then bad news, even if you do, no credit. Credit. Jeff Munkin is my guest. And you could really tell that the winds of change were blowing in this program. There was, there was an attitude of determination. One of them came by me and says, where are you from? And I go, Michigan. And I said, I can't believe I just said that. What did they say? What was it like? You're dead. You're a goner. The reason I take so much vacation is because I get so much vacation. Them be the breaks. Go for the 500. Zorro DeLauro. Happy Thanksgiving to you and the crew, turkeys. Gobble, gobble, gobble. You doing Rome? You doing Rome? Never do that again. NASCAR cup, car. Will you try and say that before you clown me? That is Jim Rome. Um. Good night now! The head coach, Jeff Munkin, is my guest. Jeff, nice to have you back on. How are you? I'm great. You going to be there for the game? You know, Coach, I'm not going to make it this year for the game, but I wish I were. I wish I were. Is that an official invite? Absolutely. All right. Well, that might change things, right? That might change things. In you the meantime. You, you let me know. We got you on scholarship. I appreciate that, Coach. You know, I have no eligibility left. You know that, though, right? <laughs> Maybe we can make this thing happen. All right. So you've won seven straight. You're 9-2. and two. You're ranked in the top 25 for the first time in over 20 years. What is life like around the program right now? Oh, it, it's kind of business as usual uh, to, to, to not uh, be real exciting about it. We've got a lot of work to do, obviously, with this next game. Uh, this every year is such a battle, and, and we, know, we, we know how tough this game is going to be, uh, and it has been each of the years I've been here. It's been within a touchdown the last four years, and both teams have just slugged it out to the end, and I'm... I'm confident we're going to have to do the same this year. So, really, we're trying to get back to work. Our guys were really excited to uh, to be recognized in the in the in the rankings. That obviously is a a big step for the program. But as I told the guys, it won't last if we don't keep winning. So we got to get back to business and and, and try to win this next one, which is the biggest game of the year, and in in my opinion, the biggest game in college football. Jeff Munkin joining us. You know, we were talking about rivalry games and how important they are and how much they mean to the sport. So you just said, in your opinion, the biggest game in college football, what makes this game bigger than any of the others? There, there's, there are passionate fans at every school and every rivalry will tell you our, our fans are more passionate than the others. And I, I don't doubt that every game, every rivalry game, whether it's 
you know, the Ohio State-Michigan game or USC-UCLA or Texas-Texas A&M or just go down the list of the great rivalry games. Those are all great games and, and passionate fans, and it matters to, to the players and the coaches and the schools and, and, and everybody. But you know, we've got a passionate fan base, too, as does our, our counterparts. But this is the only game, the only rivalry that every player that's playing out there on the field is willing to, to put their life on the line for everybody else that's watching. And it, that's, that's what makes it unique and, and special, and I think it, it, it truly makes it America's game. Well, I, I simply cannot refute that, nor would I ever want to. Jeff Munkin joining us. You know, to that point, when you coach at West Point, you're going to deal with some very special and unique players. One such player is linebacker Kenneth Brinson, who was All-State in high school in three sports and is a chemical engineering major. What's it like to coach and be around him? <laughs> oh, you talk about a unique guy. He just uh, coach 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 Brent Davis, our offensive coordinator, who recruited Kenny, said that guy kept getting in line when God was handing out talents. You know, he's he, he's smart and he's 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 physically gifted. Um, there's there's nothing that you hand that guy that he can't do well and and doesn't have a burning desire to excel at. And that's that's one of the things about him is. He does so many things, and he does all of them so well, and that that really amazes me to to see a young man like that 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 uh, that excels at just everything he touches. Let me reset that. All state in three different sports and a chemical engineering major. And it seems to me also when you turn around a program the way you have, you're going to need some special classes of players. So how would you describe the impact that this year's senior class and the role they played in turning everything around? And what they, what have they meant to the program? This this senior class really is a special group of guys, and 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 I frankly they're the ones that that have been here to see the just the attitude change that 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 is in our locker room and and everybody that touches this program when they were freshmen they were two and ten but we were playing a bunch of these guys there there are, are a number of these seniors this year that played in games and some of them started in games as freshmen and the last I just think of the last two games of that season um, and we played Rutgers and played 21 freshmen Uh, three weeks later we played in the Army Navy game played 21 more freshmen not all in the same freshmen and we went through that season 10 of those losses were by a touchdown or less and and you could really tell we could tell that that the winds of change were blowing in this program. There was there was an attitude of of determination and uh, and confidence, even losing those games. And I knew it because every week we'd come back and battle, and we'd lose a really tough game by by two or three or five, and we'd come back the next week and we'd battle. And I knew there was there was an attitude in this program that was going to lead to success. And then their uh, their second year, they won eight games and. The third year we wins, and now this year we're we're uh, we're sitting here with nine wins, with an opportunity to play uh, hopefully two more games. So we'll uh, we'll play this big Army Navy game, and hopefully we'll have a chance to play in the postseason like everybody else that that has a good year. Nine wins so far this year, a top twenty-five ranking. Big challenge coming up against Navy on December eighth. You've touched on this, Jeff, but I mean you've coached in a number of different places along the way to West Point. But is there anything at all that compares to West Point and the players and the people that you've come into contact with there? Simply no. There, there isn't. There's no place like this. There's only one West Point, and this is a unique experience, a unique opportunity, and uh, it's just an incredible place. It's, 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 it's truly an honor and a privilege to be a part of this community and this amazing institution. Uh, the young people here, there's 4,400 cadets, and they're every one of them committed to serving this nation, and 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 took that uh, took that commitment with fully knowing what what may be in store for them in their future, and that's why I love it. They're they're tough people, tough-minded, servant-minded, and. Uh, and so we got a team full of guys like that, and they're, they're really fun to coach. Jeff Monkey and joining us for another moment or so. Navy may not be having the kind of year that they're accustomed to having, but when you look at this team, Navy, what concerns you the most? Oh, don't, don't, don't worry. We're not going to 
nobody's going to get fooled around here. I know they got a good team. They're very well coached. Kenny and I have been friends for a long time, and he, he's a terrific football coach. They've got a tough team, a tough culture there in their locker room. I know, I, I know that program, and, and I know that it's going to be a battle when we take them on in Philadelphia. So they, uh, they, you watch them play, and, and you can see there's still that spirit and that toughness, and they've had some breaks not go their way. They've had some, some close games that certainly could have gone their way. So, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm preparing our team, and uh, I'm preparing personally for just a, an all-out pipe-swinging slugfest. Yeah, I don't want anybody to get this or misconstrue what I said. I love Coach Ken. He's one of my favorites. He he will have them ready to play. I know that you know that. Before I let you go, you got your start in coaching as a graduate assistant at Hawaii, making $439.76 per month for nine months and sometimes sleeping in the football offices. What were those days like? Some of the best days of my entire career. Super. I had an unbelievable experience there. Kenny and I were, uh, were GAs together. We, uh, we both worked uh, under Paul Johnson on the offensive side of the ball, and, uh, and he just, gosh, what an experience. He's such a, a terrific football coach, and he's a great football coach then. I learned so much from him, and that experience gave me the opportunity to then go work for Paul Johnson when he got the Georgia Southern job, and, and then at Navy, and then at Georgia Tech, and, and uh, it's a great experience. I I grew up the, uh, the son of a coach. My dad was my high school football coach, and I thought I knew what the coaching profession would be like. I had no idea, and I was just immersed into that, that, that life of a college football coach. It's all I ever wanted to do, and I loved it, and, uh, and I've, I've, I've just always been so grateful to, to Bob Wagner, who was the head coach there, to give me that opportunity, Buzzy Preston, who was the, uh, the receiver's coach at the time. He's still, he's still with Coach Johnson, but – he knew my dad from from the recruiting days, and and uh, you know people gave me an opportunity, really not knowing what uh, what I would do, but but uh, you know try to work hard, and and hopefully I've made those people that have helped me along the way proud to to have had a had to have helped me. So a quick follow up, one last note: when you when you're on a staff like that, you and Ken, you're working for Paul Johnson, you're a young guy. Do you have any sense of how unique and how special that is, or did that just seem like that's the way it is? That's my job. That's my opportunity. Yeah, I think at the time, uh, you, you just—it's just matter of fact. And, and Jim, probably this experience here at West Point, I'm probably going to look at this experience that I'm having right now differently uh, years from now when I'm, you know, retired and looking back at my career. And and this is really a special opportunity. But when you're in it, you, you're just trying to to do your job and to create a great experience for the players and. And, and have success so you, can, so you can stay and keep your job and make things better and, and in this case, try to beat Navy. And that's, that's a big enough challenge in itself. So uh, stopping along the way and smelling the roses, there's not a whole lot of time for that. But, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what life is. You look back and you say, wow, that was, that was pretty special. So that's, that's what I do with that opportunity that I had at, at Hawaii and, and, uh, and likely that's, that's the way I'll look back on this one too. It's a great reminder, and what a great matchup that is. Army and Navy, December 8th, 3 p.m. Eastern. That game is on CBS. Army is 9-2. and two. They're number 23 in the AP poll, 24 in the coaches' poll. Their coach, Jeff Monk, and my guest, Jeff. So great to get caught up. I appreciate the visit very much. I know it's a big one. Good luck, and we'll all be watching. Well, you're good to get me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, you let us know if you want to come to the game. We'll, we'll take good care of you. Let's find out. Let's go to Michigan. John in Michigan has got thoughts. What's going on, John? How are you? Good, Mr. Rome. Love your show. I love how you put humor into it. Makes it even more interesting. Thank love you, it. John. Appreciate it. What's up? Well, I'm from Michigan, and I got advice for you. If you're ever partying in Ohio, and you're from Florida, California, Arkansas, whatever, but you're not from Ohio, and one of the 80 boys on there says, where are you from? I got a DUI. November of 2009, one of them came by me and says, where are you from? And I go, Michigan. And I said, I can't believe I just said that. I didn't sleep all night. They were pacing my bed, making nasty comments. I thought I was a goner. One of the deputies, well, they rotated. I mean, they walked through there all night long. I finally got up to the men's room, and I'm like, 
John, 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 just so everybody understands. So what you're saying to me is back in 09, you were in Ohio, you got a DUI, you went to jail, somebody in jail said to you, where are you from? And you said Michigan, and you immediately regretted it, right? And then like, what, what was the rest of that night like? Uh, I, I didn't think I was going to make it. I really didn't. Um, I have a lot of friends in Ohio, but these other 80 guys are not in a place where they want to be, right? So you're like in you a drunk tank that. with 80, 80 guys, right? 80 guys in a drunk tank, and they're not happy to see some dude from Michigan. Like, you thought you were not going to make it out of there alive. I made it out alive. <laughs> but, you, but, you, but you thought you might not, though, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Did anybody threaten you? Yeah, of course. Okay. But what are you going to do? Like, what did they say? What did they do? What did they say? What was it like? You're dead. You know, you're a goner. Hmm. You're not going to, you know. So, like, survival, survival instincts must have kicked in. So what did you do? How did you get through that night? I stared at the ceiling, listened to all the comments, and I was waiting for someone to actually make a move and it was horrible yeah you know you don't want to be in a cage with 80 other guys and they're not your type right no you're from michigan they're from ohio they don't like you and 80 against one are not good odds so how and nobody there's no playbook for that my friend so how did you get through that what did what did you do uh i prayed Hmm. (laughs) right but you know today there's uber and there's and you know i Never do that again. Never, never, never. All right. John, listen, I'm glad I'm glad that you learned from that. You made it out of there. You made that phone call. Thank you very much. And there is Uber today. You're right. Lawrence, you're on the air. Larry, what's up? How are you? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Hey, Jim. Hope you and the crew, especially your family. Ranit, Rake, and Rogan, have a great Thanksgiving. Here's a nice old kid song for you, just for Adam. Adam is the turkey who works on the show, but Jim will never bring this bird to Radio Row. He spent Thanksgiving playing with his cat, watching Phil and Tiger Golf, eating chips and getting fat. His wife and kid are running around, being chased by giant rats, but he says we beat City Hall, so we're thankful for that. He can't afford a table to put out the spread, so he asked James Kelly, can I borrow your car head? Ah! No. You don't like that car. Why, I Alvin? Like that I would not have run here. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead... Grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.